Well, friends, it's great to be amongst you again. It's great to be bringing God's word to you again. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Trevor. I'm the assistant minister here in First Port of Down in Edenderry Presbyterian Church. And it's great to be gathered together on another Sunday morning studying God's word together. I want you, if you have a Bible open in front of you, to turn to that passage that Anne read for us earlier, that passage in Acts, Acts chapter 1. And we're going to focus down today on one verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The theme before us is going. The theme before us is really mission. Uh, and we want to consider our thoughts around Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. During my second year studying theology in Edinburgh, at Edinburgh Theological Seminary, Suzanne and I lived for a time in Edinburgh, in the west end of Edinburgh in Christophan. It was a, a lovely place to live. And on Saturday afternoons, we would often take a walk around Edinburgh, looking at some of the historic sites. You might one week go to the castle, you might go to Princess Street Gardens, you might go to the Royal Mile, you might go to just wherever the mood took you. It was all a bit random. Just wherever we got up on a Saturday morning, decided we wanted to go, well, that was where we went. That was until we discovered a book entitled The AA Guide, to walking in Edinburgh. It took you step by step through about 15, 20 different walks around Edinburgh itself. It was literally foolproof. It took you almost by the hand and said, turn left here, look up there, and you'll see whatever it was that you were supposed to see. It took you step by step by step through different walks around Edinburgh. It was really a fantastic book. And as we consider the theme of going this morning, as we consider this theme of mission this morning. That's really what I want us to do with Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. I want us together this morning to take a step by step by step walk through the verse. It's one of those verses that's often central in uh, missionary texts. It's one of those verses that is central uh, in missional textbooks. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And I want us this morning just to look at it together and see if we can draw out some lessons for ourselves. We want to see four things, four things. Firstly, we want to see the power for going. Where does the power for mission come from? Where does the power for going to the ends of the earth come from? Well, it comes from the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells inside each of us as believers. Secondly, we want to see the personal nature of going. That Jesus says to the disciples, You, you will be my witnesses. Thirdly, we want to see the person that we witness to as we go. You see, it isn't ourselves that we witness to. It isn't the work of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. It isn't the, the, the work that First Presbyterian Church has done throughout the years. Rather, what we witness to is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then fourthly, we want to see the places we go. Jesus tells the disciples that they will go to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. To tell people about him and his gospel. The power for going, the personal nature of going, the person we witness to by going and the places we go. So firstly then we want to see the power for going, the power for going. And as we come to Acts it's important that we understand what we're coming to. We're coming really, uh, the easiest way to think of it is that we're coming to a history book. We're coming to a book that outlines for us the spread of the church, how the church went from where it was to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is kind of a, a central text for the book. It shows how the book will work out uh, as it goes forward. But it's also the second half of Luke's gospel, really. Luke's account of the life of Jesus. Luke 
This gospel tells us of the things that Jesus began to do and teach. Well, as Acts picks up that story and says, well, this is what happened after Jesus was finished teaching. This is what happens after Jesus had gone back to heaven. As we come to Acts chapter 1, Jesus is getting the disciples ready for his ascension. He's getting ready for his final leaving of them. The disciples come to him with this question and they say, well, look, now that all this has happened, now that you've been crucified, now that you've been raised again, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says to them, essentially, well, don't worry about it. Don't worry uh, about what you think is going to happen. You don't need to know. Now, it's important that we understand the context of this verse. It's important that we understand the context of any verse we come to in Scripture, because if we don't, then it's very easy to, to misapply it. If we don't understand that these words were given to a particular group of people at a particular time in church history, at a particular time in the development of the church, then it's easy for us just to wrench them out of context and say, well, this is what they mean for us. But as we come to the Bible, what we're always trying to get to is, well, what did it mean for the people who heard it the first time? What did it mean for the disciples standing, looking at Jesus as he was getting ready to go away? So this verse, verse 8, is spoken to these disciples. These disciples who have seen and heard Jesus' teaching. These disciples who have seen and heard the resurrected Christ. These disciples who have seen Jesus die and rise again. This group who would go on to form the first churches. This group who would be so central to the early church and its teaching and ministry. These people who would go on to evangelize vast swathes of the then known world. Jesus speaks these words. And Jesus says to them, verse 8, what's the first thing that he says? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So what's the power that enables their witness? What's the power that enables them to go? What's the power that enables them to take this gospel to the ends of the earth? Well, it's the fact that they receive the Holy Spirit. Now let's think about where these men have been up until now. The Gospels, near enough uniformly, the Gospels present to us, after the resurrection of Jesus, the Gospels present to us a group of men who were frightened. A group of men who hid in upper rooms. A group of men who were terrified because their saviour had been killed. A group of men who were terrified that the Jews were about at any moment to, to, to storm the room they were in and take them away as well. A group of men who had deserted Jesus in his hour of need. A group of men, some of whom who had gone back to their day jobs because they didn't know what else to do. Now why do I say that? Because it doesn't paint for us a picture of a group of men who were powerful, does it? It doesn't paint to us a picture of a group of men who were strong, who were resolute, who were ready to fight a good fight, who were ready to wage war, who were ready to turn the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Actually, it paints to us a picture of a group of men who were fairly weak, who were fairly timid, who were worried about what the next knock at the door might bring. And that's the whole point, isn't it, of what Jesus is saying to them. You'll receive power, Jesus says. Not power from within yourselves. Not power when you realise the, the strength of feeling that's within you. But rather you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You couldn't do this by yourself. 
You couldn't work up enough strength and emotion to do this by yourself, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Their power for going, their power for turning the world upside down rested on the fact that the Holy Spirit would be within them, that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. The power for going came from outside of themselves. Their power for going came from God. Their power for going came from the fact that the third person of the Trinity would indwell each of them. And when that happened, then they couldn't do anything else but go. When that happened, the natural response was to go, compelled them out. They couldn't do anything else other than tell people about Jesus. I'm sure those of us with, with children can all relate to the, what we're told here, can't we? We've had that experience. We get up on Christmas morning uh, and the kids come downstairs. They rush into their presents. They pull open the wrapping and the present they've got is useless. Why? Because Dad forgot to buy batteries for it. Without the batteries, it's just a heap of plastic. Without that power inside it, it, it it's just a mould of plastic. And Jesus reminds the disciples here that without the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling them, without the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon them, then they wouldn't be able to do anything else. What they need is the power that comes from God. What they need is the working and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What they needed wasn't finely crafted sermons. What they needed wasn't the latest marketing ploy to get people to agree to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What they needed wasn't the, the, the slickest evangelistic presentations out there. What they needed was the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, if we're going to see any effect from our going, if we're going to see any fruit from our ministry, if we're going to see any fruit from the, the, the ministry of the missionaries who we support, then this is what we need. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work mightily. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work mightily in our town, convincing people of their sin, convincing people that they need a saviour. This is what we need to pray for most earnestly of all, that the Spirit would be at work in our town, that the Spirit would be at work in our land, that the Spirit would be at work in our world. You see, we've become so self-sufficient today, even in the church. As a, a nation, we've become so self-sufficient. We can fix any problem. Coronavirus comes along, sure, we'll just design a vaccine for it. We can buy our way out of any problem. And within the church, what do we say then? Well, we say, well, if we do the right things, then conversion will follow. If we run Christianity Explored, then conversion will surely follow. If we work really hard at our presentation, then surely conversion will follow. If we do this, then conversion will surely follow. But that doesn't ring true, does it? We've reduced conversion down to a mathematical formula. X plus Y equals conversion. And yet, friends, what we need most of all is the Holy Spirit to be working. Because if he is, then our going will be unstoppable. If he is working, then our gospel message will be irresistible. Nothing or no one will be able to stand against it. 
So that's the first part of our going then. We need to remember that the Holy Spirit's the power behind our going, that the Holy Spirit's the, the engine that drives the church forwards and outwards. But secondly then, we want to notice the personal nature of going. The personal nature of going. Because notice what Jesus says to the disciples. So he says to them, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Okay, we've just thought about that. And what does he say? And you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Each of them had a role to play. Each of them had a ministry to fulfill. Each of them had a group of people to, to influence and to tell the gospel of Jesus Christ too. They would all testify to him. They would all share the good news of the kingdom of God. Think about those events that will happen in a, a, a few short days. That day of Pentecost, that day when the Holy Spirit comes in all its power. And what do each of those men do? Well, they proclaim the gospel. They tell people in languages they don't know the good news of Jesus Christ. Some of them, of course, are more famous than others. In the book of Acts, we'll see some come to prominence and others kind of fade away to the background. We think about John, uh, who, who preaches the gospel, who's eventually imprisoned for the gospel. We think about Peter, who becomes the, the de facto spokesman for the group. These are the influential figures in the early church, if you like. Some of them kind of fade a little bit into obscurity. We, we think of Bartholomew, we think of Judas, the son of James, Simon the Zealot. We don't know a tremendous amount more of what happened to them other than what's recorded for us. They, in some senses, fade out, but they have the same commission. They have the same job. They have the same role. They are to be witnesses to Jesus Christ and all that he's done. They were to tell other people who Jesus is. None of them, as they stood there on that mountain, none of them, as they heard the words of Acts 1, uh, 8, could mop their brow and say, Phew, well, I'm so glad that doesn't apply to me. I'm so glad I don't have to be a witness. I'm so glad I don't have to tell other people about Jesus. No, all of them received the same commission. All of them had the same job, the same role. They would witness to different people, yes. They were sent to different people, yes. But they were all commissioned to tell people who Jesus is. You will be my witnesses. There's something deeply personal about the nature of our going. There is something deeply personal about the nature of our going. Now, what do I mean by that? God has given you opportunities. God has placed you in certain situations, in certain circumstances, and in certain places where you are the person who it is best placed to tell other people about Jesus Christ. Where you're the person who's best placed to speak into that community the words of life found in Jesus Christ. Let's think about that. Let's try and think it through a little bit. It might be this morning that you love playing team sports. You love getting involved. You love being with uh, other people. And you love that camaraderie that comes from playing team sports. And God has placed you in that environment with those teammates as your mission field. That God has placed you there and you are the person who's best placed to speak the words of life into that situation. You're the person best placed to tell your teammates about Jesus Christ. Why? Because you know it. Because you understand it. Because you're familiar with the, the, the ethos, the dynamic of that team. You can speak to them in a language they understand in a way that they can understand. 
Could be that God has placed you in an office or a workplace where you're the only Christian. God has placed you there. God has given you that mission field because you're the one who is uniquely placed to speak into that mission field. You might think to yourself, well, look, I could never do that. What would happen if I were to tell my teammates about Jesus Christ? What would happen if I were to tell my work colleagues about Jesus Christ? Think of all the things that could happen. I could never share the gospel with anyone. And in some senses, you're right. Left to our own, we could never do it. Left to our own devices, we would never choose to do it. But remember what the power for going is. The power for going is that the, the Holy Spirit lives inside each one of us who are truly followers of Jesus Christ. You see, the danger today might be for us that we leave evangelism, we leave going to the professionals. We think evangelism, we think going, well, that's the job of the minister. That's what we pay him for. That's the job of the pastoral visitor. That's what we pay her for. That's the job of the missionaries. That's why we support them, so that they can go and they can tell other people about Jesus Christ. But me, I... I I'm not doing that. Don't miss the personal nature of going. Don't miss those opportunities that God has uniquely placed and gifted you for so that you can tell others about the difference that knowing Jesus makes to you. Jesus and God have given each of us a unique mission field on our doorstep to tell others about him. Thirdly, we want to see the person that we witness to by going. The person that we witness to by going. I want to think who we're telling people about. It may seem fairly obvious, but notice what Jesus says. You will be my witnesses. You will tell people about the things that I have done. You will tell people the good news of the gospel. You will tell people the good news about the kingdom of God. The disciples, the apostles go. The apostles are sent out. The apostles are, are sent forth with the word of life. But notice what it is that they're telling people as they go. As they go, they aren't bringing a kind of moralism with them. As they go, they aren't telling people how to live their best life now. But as they go, they're bringing with them the good news of the gospel. They're bringing with them the, the good news of what God has done. They're bringing with them the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what they're called to witness to. That's who they're called to witness to. You may have heard the, it's quite a, a famous quote, preach the gospel always, use words, if necessary, often wrongly attributed to St. Francis of Assisi saying that our whole lives should preach the gospel, our whole lives as Christians should show forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if necessary, if that fails, then of course we should use words. Yet Jesus here, as he begins to form his church, Jesus here, as he sets the, 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 the foundations in place for his church, reminds the disciples that as they're sent, reminds the apostles that as they go, they're called to witness to him. Words will always be necessary. Preaching the gospel is always necessary. Proclamation is always needed. They must witness to what they've seen and what they've heard. I don't know if any of you have ever been called as a witness in a, a court case or not. I quite like the idea of it. I quite like the sort of the, the drama of it. 
But imagine being called as a witness. You're standing in the dock and the defence counsel begins their questioning. And rather than state what you've seen, rather than state the things that you uh, witnessed clearly, you begin acting out, reenacting what it was that you had seen. I don't think you'd last too long, would you? And so too it must be with our witness of Jesus Christ. Of course we're called to live Christian lives. Of course we're called to be consistent in our living. But we're called to testify to the truth of Jesus Christ. We're called to witness to the reality of his life, death and resurrection. Christian living in and of itself would never be enough. Why not? Because there are some very moral people out there. You look even at some of the other world religions and they teach great moralism. People whose morality would perhaps, if we're honest, outshine even ours. But if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, then their morality isn't witnessing to Jesus Christ. It's witnessing to themselves. If they don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, then their morality is simply a, a, a result of their upbringing. It's a result of what they see as a good life. When we're called to go, we go as witnesses. We go as those who testify of the great truths that we've seen, the great truths that we've experienced, the great truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one we witness to. He is the one we share. He is the one we glorify and magnify in our going. Not ourselves, not our morality, but Christ. And then fourthly, finally, we want to think about the places we go. Notice the places the disciples are sent. Firstly, we're told that they are sent, they will be sent to Jerusalem. This would have been common ground for the disciples. This would have been a place where they felt at home, a place where they would have been comfortable, a place where they understood the societal norms, uh, they understood the culture, and a place really where they felt at home. And Jesus says to them, well, actually, you're going to be witnesses for me here. And then he says to them, well, as well as Jerusalem, there's going to be Judea and Samaria. That's slightly further afield. It's a place probably the disciples wouldn't have felt as comfortable. It's a place probably actually they would have felt slightly uncomfortable than in Jerusalem. There would have been some cultural overlap. They would have understood some of the, the norms of Judean and Samaritan society. Now, think with me please of, of that incident in John 4. Jesus speaks to the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. And there was a certain contact between Jesus and the woman. There was a certain overlap between Jesus and the woman. Of course there was that animosity. How is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? There was a certain animosity, but there was also a certain overlap. Well, you Jews say that on this mountain, whereas we Samaritans say that here we should worship God. There was a similar culture, a similar religious tradition. They weren't Jews, of course, uh, certainly not full-blooded Jews, but there was a certain overlap. And then finally, Jesus says, so as well as Judea and Samaria, then even to the ends of the earth. Everywhere they could possibly imagine they would be sent to teach people about the kingdom of God. This would have been even more uncomfortable because it would have brought them into contact with pagans. It would have brought the disciples into contact with, with people who were definitely unclean. But they're called to go to set aside their preferred cultural norms, to set aside everything that they may feel comfortable with, they're called to go 
and to make Jesus known. Each of us this morning is called to go. We might be called to go to our Jerusalem. We might be called to go to the places where we feel comfortable. That might be our street, our development. It might be our town, a place that we understand, a place that we can easily interact with. Some of us might be called to go somewhere slightly different, somewhere slightly further afield, a place where we understand the culture, a place where we understand the norms of society, but a place that's outside of our comfort zone. Maybe think of the Republic of Ireland, for example. A place where Jesus needs to be made known. And some of us might even be called this morning to go to the ends of the earth, to leave home and family and to go and make Jesus known where he is not yet known. Maybe you're wrestling with that this morning. Maybe you're wrestling with that call of God upon your life to leave family and friends behind and go and make Jesus known. If you are, then please uh, speak to Robin, speak to myself, or or speak to your, your district elder. We're called to go. Called to witness to Jesus Christ as we go. We're called to witness about what he's done for us. We're called to witness the good news of the gospel. We're called as we go about our daily lives to gossip the gospel, to tell those we meet the good news of Jesus, the good news of sins forgiven. We're to call on people to come to know God, to seek him while he may be found. That's our calling as believers. That's our calling as a church, called to go. Amen.